Welcome to another episode of Did You Know with Joe and Joe, America's favorite audio-only podcast with Joe Vitale and Joe Gummany, talking about all things spirits and bourbon, uh, both here in Ohio and everywhere. And we're very, very excited today in our episode to have um, a special guest with us, Andrew Herf, or as I call him, Andy Herf, who I um, had the pleasure of knowing throughout our days at Ohio State. Um, like all people, Andy has gone on to do big things. He is president of Shoemaker Advisors in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he is a, an effective and efficient advocate for clients uh, throughout uh, Ohio. And I think he'll probably tell us maybe even beyond Ohio. And he represents his clients uh, through a, a broad array of industries and helps them with the legislative process that he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, to better their businesses. So, Let's kick things off first, Andy. If you wanted to say a few words, we could get into some questions with you. Great, thank you, Joe. Uh, good to see you again. You haven't aged a bit since college. Go say that. <laughs> That's the bourbon talking, um, Andy. So yeah, you know, happy to be here. Happy to uh, support the industry and uh, talk to the bourbon uh, lovers out there. Outstanding. Outstanding. Awesome. Well, yeah. yeah thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, do you want to kick things off? Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about your role as president of Shoemaker Advisors Ohio and and what it entails. Okay. So it was about 10 years ago in March of 2013. uh, I'd been at the Wholesale Beer and Wine Association for about 13 or 14 years. And uh, a good friend of mine who was in the state Senate, he and I decided that we should start a lobbying firm together. I'll never forget the first day. I came here I sat in an office by myself and thought, now what? <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so in the intervening 10 years, we're now in Ohio, Florida, South Carolina, hopefully wow. soon North Carolina and DC. Wow. wow. Um, about 35 employees. Uh, we're affiliated with uh, Shoemaker, Loop and Kendrick, which is a big law firm in Ohio, uh, largest law firm on the West Coast of Florida. Wow. And um, we're headquartered in Toledo, Ohio, of all things. I know great that firm, and they've been yeah. very supportive. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think what sets us apart is that we are bipartisan. And I don't mean that we have like a Democrat intern. I mean, we are legitimately bipartisan uh, with a focus on local, state, and federal lobbying. Very nice. Very nice. And, you know, I know that you, as even the website says in your bio, you know, that you do represent a pretty wide ranging um, uh, client base, um, probably as a shoemaker itself. But you you in particular, um, maybe tell us a little about something challenging that you have faced in your role um, and how you were able to sort of su- successfully navigate through that. Well, I, you know, one of the things is I represent bars and taverns in Ohio. It's interesting because I represented them 20 years ago. Uh, and then I left that job and went to went in-house at the Beer and Wine Association. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most challenging things I've, I've ever had to do is I promised a guy who hired me 20 now, 25 years ago, when I left, that I'd be back. It took me 13 or 14 years, about 16 years total to come back. But I was supposed to be his retirement plan. But I was able to keep that promise. And wow. we uh, and we merged companies, um, and a year later he passed away. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, but we were able to make good on that promise to his widow, and that's always meant a lot to me. You know, to have the ability to to do what you say you do, and that's really our stock and trade as a firm. You know, so we've had recently we've had some really challenging, complicated. Uh, I wouldn't even call them fights because most people agree with what we want to do. But it's complicated on how you get there. One of my favorite clients is minor league baseball. It's just, you know, so just apple pie and Americana. And it's, <laughs> it's great. And our client in particular is the Toledo Mud Hens. So that day that I sat at my desk and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. That day started at 9 a.m. I think I got in at 8 that day. By 9.15, I had the Toledo Mud Hens as a client. So they are the first client I ever got outside the ones I brought with me. Very nice. And we were able to get them shuttered venues money. They didn't get any money during COVID. Major League Baseball did. Honky Tonk Bars did. And there was this gap in the middle that nobody took care of the uh nobody took care of the minor league teams. 
That's They're going to get their check this week. So wait a minute. Are you saying Major League Baseball didn't give any money? From the money they got, they, they really didn't give anything to the minor leagues. Well, they don't own the minor league teams. Oh, you know, they're just affiliates, just affiliates. Yeah, they're affiliates. So the relationship between major and minor league baseball is the players, right? So the major league teams own the players, but that's not where they lost the money during COVID. It was the fans and the concessions and you know yeah, beer and sure. wine sales and all the yeah. rest of it. So it was it was fun to be able to get them made whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, you think about like the Columbus Clippers, Toledo Mud Hens, you know, these are kind of iconic American brands, especially the Mud Hens. The big one, the big challenge lately was uh, sports gaming for the mm. bars. We're, we're, we're the first uh, state in the country to do sports gaming broadly across the bars. So you can go wow. into your local bar if they're on the lottery program mm-hmm. and place a sports bet, you know. I've noticed that lately. In fact, I was just up by Great Northern, uh, Joe Gummany, uh, and you, I saw. You, you, I think I forget. I don't want to say which, which it is, but there's a bar over there near the corner by Chick Fil A, and it said "Gamble Here." Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, place your bets. Yeah. So, Joe, it's going to be a wash for you, Joe Vitali. It's going to be a wash <laughs> for you. You're going to bet on the Buckeyes to cover the spread, and you're going to make some money, and you're going to lose it when you bet on the Browns to cover the spread. Exactly. That's how that works. <laughs> As the kids like to say, word. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get your free two hundred and fifty. Oh, you just, just ruined the interview. Back. Just ruined the interview. It's no. fun. It's like it's like so. You know, suffice it to say, it's a really fun job. You know, you can you can you can do really good things in the world by helping people who have really tough jobs, mm-hmm. but you can also help baseball and get sports gaming in bars and all of it together. It it's I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be able to do this. That's, Call us when you actually, get the Savannah Bananas. I'm very excited. I was going to say, they're, they're <laughs> pretty amazing. Them. So I can say I know somebody who represents the Savannah Bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> go ahead, Joe. Gonna, you got a question? Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, it, you know, you've obviously explained, you know, not just food and beverage, but like other industries that you've worked in. I mean, you know, what is it like being in a role where, you know, you have these industries where it's really essential for, you know, having advocacy from a legislative, you know, perspective, you know, you know, how does that work with you and and your clients? Yeah, especially the beverage industry. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, let me go into the bars for a second because let me let me tell you what's at stake for these guys. Right, COVID hits, and they're shut down completely. They were the first ones to be shut down. In fact, COVID hits. And it was right before St. Patrick's Day. I remember that. The, the yeah. shutdown starts on the 15th. You know, Joe and I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So then the question is, what do you do with all the stuff they bought for St. Patrick's Day? And I don't just mean the, the booze. I mean, what about like the tents they got? You know, there's a lot of people that had a lot invested in that. Yeah. And um, we work closely with the state. We work with the Division of Liquor Control. And they did a buyback program where they would bring, they would buy it all back from everybody that bought whatever Irish whiskey and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of on the front end, they were trying to find a way to make people whole. So at least their initial investment was taken care of. But as it went on and on and on, you know, remember the bars, like they had to close at nine and then there was the stay safe at home order where you had to close at 10. And if somebody was in the bar, it was like you were getting hammered for that. If you add up all that time, it was 2,000 hours. So to put this in perspective, if you had a law wow. firm, a lawyer loses 2,000 hours, that's an entire year worth of billing. And they didn't just lose any hours. Right. Because I heard this a little bit during that era where they'd say, well, they can be open you know, for lunch. I'm like, no, we're talking about the golden hours, right? right. You know, What do you think? You make more money at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon or midnight on a Saturday? Mm-hmm. They were losing mm-hmm. all their Saturdays. So I thought, you know, at the time, I would like to leverage that and get as much for them as I can, right? So we did cocktails to go. That's um, genius. And, you know, so they could at least send things out. So when people were doing Zoom calls with each other, you know who crushed cocktails to go, by the way? Who? The Mexican places. Oh, I believe it. Interesting. Taco Tuesdays were just like margaritas going out the door constantly. <laughs> But there were a lot of other people too. Like there's a guy up in Youngstown, uh, Magic Hat. He just, he nailed it. Like he just, he figured it out quickly. We took his program and told the rest of the state, like, this is how you do it. Um, John Rudy is his name. Great guy. 
Um, he's buddies with Boom Boom. You know, he's oh, you know, nice. another one of those guys up there. But, you know, there there were a lot of what I saw was like innovation. I yeah. saw a lot of really interesting ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, where, where we came down was, you know, how, how can we make these hours back? We can't just, you know, at some point somebody had the idea to stay open 24 hours, but nobody's going to stay open 24 hours. Your wait staff doesn't want to stay there that long. Right. But, right. you know, what would help is what if Sunday was just a day? And what if it was easier to get on the ballot for Sunday? So we started to nibble at the edges of some of these things. And it was really interesting that, um, you know, the DeWine administration understood the, the problem we had. They were very open to these ideas. They supported them. And so we made a lot of really interesting changes during that era so that we could get people, you know, their time back. And that's why I wanted sports gaming so bad was because get them their time back, but find a reason to keep their people in the seats right? Sports gaming, the bar is not going to make a million dollars on sports gaming. They're not going to be the casinos. But what they can do is if you're holding potentially a winning ticket, you're going to stay there for the whole game. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're going to nervously eat another order of chicken wings, (laughs) maybe get another beer. But if you look at the economics of that sports gaming piece, you'll make more money on the beer and the chicken wings than you're going to make on the ticket itself. Well, that makes sense. I'll tell you too. I think I think um, you know in the long run. And I, I, I think, uh, I'm trying to think uh, what when it, when we had it, Joe. You, I think you might have been a part of it when we did the tasting with uh, timetable. Were you a part of that? Yeah. And it was kind of a cool idea. And it was during COVID, and this bar just gave us a tasting. You went, you you went and picked it up. <clears throat> they had samples of all the all the alcohol. You came back. They had to give you food. They had a little food with it. And we did a virtual tasting. They had all the people, you know, on Zoom. And a funny thing, I think it's a cool idea even outside of COVID, right? I mean, it, just to get everyone together like that. But it was kind of a cool idea. And, and it really yeah. showed sort of trying to think outside the box. And, you know, um, I thought it was it was fun. That's, oh, that's what I'm talking about, that innovation. You know, really, these business owners, these little guys, you know, they're fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. And they really came up with some fun things. Because they know their stock and trade is fun. Right, right. Well, well, you know, based on that, Andy, what do you think, um, you know, in your experience is probably one of the biggest challenging, uh, what the biggest challenges now, you know, because we're out of COVID for the most part, biggest challenges facing the spirit industry here in Ohio. You know, and you and I talked, I think, before this, we set this interview up and there's always different thoughts about, um, you know, the industry and how everything works. But do you see anything particular in Ohio as you compare to other states? Um, that is a challenge for for some of your clients. Yeah, I do. I think, um, well, in a, in a few different areas, there's there's always challenges with um, how how do you get to your customer, right? This this is that that's really the innovation that came out during COVID, right? How do I get to my customer? Um, when you look on the spirit side, when you start looking at the agency stores, how do you get to your customer, and how do you find a way to make it sort of egalitarian, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, probably one of the biggest problems we have in Ohio is the perception. I'm not sure that I know that it's, I'm not sure that I would agree that's totally fair, but there is a perception that, you know, if I go to a liquor store, I can't get what I want. So mm-hmm. there's, there's this customer relationship, but there's also kind of the other direction, right? I mean, what we've been sorting out for the last couple of years is how to do home deliveries. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to Drizzly, I've I've talked to Uber Eats, you know, we've talked to, you know, all the other services that'll go buy your groceries for you. We're trying to figure out which one of them is going to get the right permit just to mm-hmm. go out. It's 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 a shipper's permit. It's a pretty easy permit to get, but a lot of them are hesitant to do it because you have to card at the door. But I mean, I think there's this bringing um, the industry the rest of the way into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. When I say the rest of the way, what, I'm, what I mean there is that since I've represented the Spirits Association, um, so I represent the brokers. The brokers in, in, a, in an open state, we're a control state. If this was an open state, they would be the wholesalers. Um, so I spent whatever it was with the 13 or 15 years with the beer and wine wholesalers. Now I represent essentially the Spiritus Liquor wholesalers. You know, but in the control state model, what they often are trying to do is manage the um, relationship with the state and who gets what. And there's this kind of 
balance that they work with the state on kind of who's deserving. But, you know, one of the things the state did, and I think it's, it was kind of a brilliant idea. They take that really high end stuff that everybody wants, you know, a lot of, you know, everybody knows what's, what the collectible hard mm-hmm, to find mm-hmm. bourbons are. Oh yeah. And they just straight up put them on a lottery. So mm-hmm. everybody's got the same chance of getting it. Here's the thing though. If can, you're, can I interrupt you for a second, Andy? Yeah. So on a typical lottery, just as an example, do you have like sort of any idea for ballparkish? So when they, let's say they have a lottery and they're giving away blends, for example. Yeah. How much Blantons do they typically, not Blantons in particular, but when they do those, how much is available that they're they're putting into the lottery? Oh, it's all over the place. It depends on the supplier. Like okay. we get what we get as a state. Um, I will say this though. So the Division of Liquor Control in Ohio, you, you, so there's an upside for Ohioans actually that we're a control state. And the upside is this. The suppliers only have to deal with one person and that person is going to do everything they can to get as much as they can. So at our division of liquor control, you know, we are getting a huge portion of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and actually even Kentucky's fair share Mm -hmm. based on our sales. So if you have somebody in that job that's like business minded, which we have, and we're lucky to have that, we're getting a disproportionate share of that. So, you know, in some cases it might be 200 bottles statewide, right? So this would be really, really rare stuff. It might be 200 bottles statewide. A hundred of those are going to go to the retail trade, uh, like the on-premise retail trade. So it'll go to, you know, some high-end restaurants. It might go to a couple of bars too. I mean, it's, it's going to kind of be spread out the other hundred bottles will go up in the lottery, but they don't ever take all of it and put it in the lottery. That's sure. why you can, that's why you can walk in a bar and, and get that. But here's the thing. Here's what they do do. You win the lottery and you have the ability to buy that bottle at the price set by the distillery. So what I'm saying is this, there's a prominent brand that pre COVID I was in, I spent a lot of time in DC and I was on DuPont Circle. I found a really great little liquor store on DuPont Circle. If you're ever out there. Duly noted. Good to know. Bring, yeah. Bring, bring, your, <laughs> bring your checkbook. Bring your checkbook. You, you can find, pre-COVID, you could find a, I'm just going to call it a flagship bottle for $100 a year. So the 23 year was 2300 bucks. 12 year was 1200 bucks. No. And so pre-COVID, so. but now yeah. that same bottle is going to be 5,400 bucks for the 23 mm. year. And wow. so you'll find that they have like six bottles deep on the shelf. If you win that lottery in Ohio, you'll get that same bottle for 480 or whatever it is. That's yeah. amazing. We, we, we don't mark the price up, but it doesn't last long. And then you sure. get, you know, they're unfortunately, and I don't, I don't love this about the industry, but there's, the guys that chase the truck. <laughs> yeah. So they get, you know, it's going to this place at 11. It's going to that place at 1 PM. They chase, literally chase the truck, whatever comes yeah. off. They'll say, yeah. Like, yeah, I want, I want this bottle or that bottle. So yeah. you brought up something though, and it, it's interesting about how a lot of people gripe. So do you find a lot of people are, you know, disenchanted with how Ohio handles it? You brought up being a controlled state. So what are some of the things that, that people you know, tend to not like about the system. And uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, every, every, well, okay. This isn't about the system. This is about generally how the law works. Everybody hates when the law doesn't benefit them directly. Right. I mean, I get that. You know, (laughs) let me, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example. And Joe, you'll appreciate this. Joe Vitale, you'll appreciate this. I represent tow truck companies, you know, and we've done some national things for those guys. What do you think the number one complaint we get in tow truck world is? From the, the business owners? No. From, from people. A guy like you. Um, that perhaps it's not very well marked where they get me. Um, yeah. yeah. Everybody thinks that they were unjustifiedly, yeah. you know, towed, right? But they're missing out on the idea that, you know, that guy's got a property right. He bought that building. He gets to decide who parks there. Yeah. So we've cleaned up how the signage works and we've done a lot of that kind of stuff. 
um, so that it's clear, right? But everybody thinks it's it's the only it's the only service you're ever going to pay for that you didn't call yourself, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, or your. By the way, I can neither confirm nor deny that I had my. <laughs> yeah, many right. Times I say. State University as an undergrad. <laughs> or your, um, that, that's it, that's exactly where I'm going. Your sweet daughter, <laughs> and clearly she was in the right. You know, for the record, my daughter just um, had her transcripts held. She's graduating because she has a fifty dollars parking ticket. And yeah, I thought to myself, yeah. that's irony. That, that That's God saying, see, see, that is, that is. she's paying it, by the way. The but apple falls directly below the tree. <laughs> that's the thing with liquor, right? I've seen this forever and ever and ever. 20 years ago, it was about the wine collectors. Now it's about the bourbon collectors. If a winery takes off, they can make next year's vintage double the size. Right, right. You know, if a good, if a good bourbon supplier... If their brand takes off, they're going to double the supply in 17 years after it ages in the barrel, <laughs> right? So they're more oh, resistant. They're more hesitant to like ramp up production because either they're going to ramp it up quickly and lose the quality that everybody loves or play the long game and just hope that everybody still loves it in 17 years. That's right. That's, yeah, that's right. They have enough of it or didn't make too much. That's interesting. And I and I, I think that I think overall, you know, in Ohio and Joe and I've seen it. I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of bars and restaurants that we visit and we did that. We started this show, the Suburban Bourbon Show, available on SuburbanBourbon.net, by the way, um, to get people to go back out uh, to restaurants and bars and, and mainly to help small businesses. Well, uh, Joe, you. Joe and I sat thank down and said, we like to talk that... to people, right? We like to get out there. Those little guys needed everything they, they, really. they could get. And it, and all of yeah. that's appreciated. And Joe, I think you'll agree. There are a lot of great stories of how people survived. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely you know. amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. quite honestly. And, and I think what you're doing, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear your side of the, you know, experience because there are so many, com- you know, small businesses that struggled or, or, or shuttered during this time frame. So to hear some of these, you know, stories and what you've done, to help enable that is uh it's pretty awesome you know andy one question i was wondering um how you know joe and i have been starting to visit distilleries in fact we're going to be heading down to north side north side distillery uh in, in cincinnati and could you just sort of enlighten our listeners on how it works with distilleries how they're you know what what are sort of the challenges or just basically the compliance uh associated with making a product getting it outside um, of Ohio because you and I talked about this and I was fascinated. I think I was talking about one in particular who was saying he, he really wants to get it out of Ohio. And I thought it was an Ohio thing. No, um, maybe you could walk, if you wouldn't mind. I, I've talked to him about that. this. So yeah. You're talking about Ray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked about this. It's like, first of all, I, I want to read you something. I want to get into this because this is actually really important for your listeners to hear. Right. So just just over about 104 years ago, we passed prohibition. One of the questions I get often is like, why does the liquor industry need a lobbyist? Mm -hmm. We're one of the only industries in America that was outlawed at the stroke of a pen. Mm -hmm. So in 1919, prohibition passes. The Volstead Act comes to being. And there's a funny story about uh, the Bahamas. That's where the rum runners used to run back and forth between the Carolinas and the Bahamas. And they had three statues that they built. They had an ancient king, um, you know, a Native American king of the Bahamas. They had Queen Victoria and they had Andrew Volstead. Because Andrew Volstead, the Volstead Act, drove more money to the Bahamas than any other person, including Queen Victoria. Because he opened the door for rum running. Mm-hmm. So they're running the run back and forth. So then 90 years ago, it'll be this December. It'll be 90 years this December. Prohibition's repealed. So we're talking about the 18th and the 21st Amendment. There are two amendments that deal with your ability to drink in the American <laughs> U.S. Constitution. That's and You think about that. Yeah. The only other activity that, that gets more attention than that is your right to vote. There's five of them. Wow. And it's freed slaves, 18-year-olds, how we do Senate elections, how we do presidential elections, 
So the, so the only thing that gets more attention in American society in the U.S. Constitution is your right to vote. And the 21st Amendment is a really, really, really powerful document, like eight sentences or something. But I want to read this section two. The transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof are here is hereby prohibited. What they're saying is we defer to the states on the uh, transportation importation into that state. So what they're saying is yeah. how you deal with alcohol. How you're going to handle this is up to you. It's the greatest punt in American history. <laughs> it's an absolutely fantastic punt. So, you know, they get all the credit. Uh, actually, and the, the, the 21st Amendment, when it's got to be ratified by 75% of the states, one of the, the last states, I think, were Utah, Ohio, and I forget who else. But there were three that voted on December 7th, 1933. So that's the date that we repealed prohibition that's my birthday by the way december 7th so i think there's a, a, a nice, there's a uh, correlation of heavenly that correlation sure. but go ahead <laughs> there, see, is. The story. there is well it's all adding up my uh my pin number was 1621 so. there you go <laughs> 16th amendment is 18 but, um it's a succinct and perfectly written statement we're going to let the states figure this out for themselves so right before this happens, you had um, another Ohioan, John D. Rockefeller, who was a strict prohibitionist. And he's trying to figure this out. Do you remember the book Freakonomics? Yes. Yep. The book was written by an economist and a journalist. The economist had sort of the story. The journalist knew how to put it out there in a way that people could understand. The original version of that is a book called Toward Liquor Control. So Rockefeller commissioned this book and it lays out like, what do you do at the repeal of prohibition? He didn't want it to happen, but he lays out, what do you do when we repeal prohibition? And there's a great passage in here and it gets into why do you want to have a control state? And the control state model is meant to take away the profit motive because the state monopoly won't be driven by profit. They will care about temperance. They'll also care about profit, but it's not their main concern. And it's, it's, it's essentially what we adopted. In fact, this book also talks about how there will be influencers and fixers. They literally anticipated me. <laughs> and they also anticipate that you could have this private enterprise that could take the um, revenue stream, but you shouldn't give them the control. We used this 1933 book as the model to create Jobs Ohio. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's really Jobs cool. Ohio is going to make, you know, if, if I if I look at the liquor industry, when I say the liquor industry, I'm talking about the, the spiritus brokers, the spiritus liquor brokers, the Ohio Spirits Association will generate between 85 and $100 billion for the state of Ohio during the wow. life of a 25-year contract. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, it's, that's it's a huge part of the economy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge, it's a big part of why we got uh, Intel here. You know, Jobs Ohio is a big part of that deal coming together. That's a, that in and of itself is going to be a $100 billion deal. And that was a great get. I just wish it was closer to Cleveland. <laughs> well, Cleveland will benefit from it. Oh, oh yeah. everyone will. Everyone will. We're going to have fantastic. that high-speed train. It won't matter. That's right. You get here in an hour. <laughs> so, so you brought up something about having a business-minded leader in, at, you know, running the state and bringing in. Can you kind of talk about just the whole process of you know, distillery in Kentucky wants to get product in, in Ohio and how that actually, like, how does that work? And then what, what are the things they have to do to get, you know, X amount of product here? So there's actually kind of two stories to tell here. So there's the Kentucky guy and the Ohio guy. Kentucky guy's easy, right? I mean, most of the distilleries down there are well-established and they have broker relationships. 
So you have a broker in Ohio. The broker talks to the uh, to the Division of Liquor Control. You, there's really one point of contact. It's the superintendent. And um, who is that? Who's the superintendent? Jim uh, Canepa. Canepa. And he decides what what what's going to go on the shelf. But he doesn't just decide that. He decides where the stores are going to be. He's the one that notifies the neighbors that the store is about to go in to see if there's any objections. Wow. Um, he's the person that sets, he sets the shelf price. In other words, wow. the reason that we can have a monopoly in Ohio is because we have what's called active state supervision. So under the Sherman Antitrust Act, there's a test. And one of the parts of the test is you have to have active state supervision, being that they are the monopoly. They're allowed to do that. What they can't do is sell the monopoly to the private actor. So we watched this happen. There were originally, um, in toward liquor control, there are, it's called the authority plan there. We call it control states. But what's interesting is at the repeal of prohibition, because I get this a lot too, like why hasn't Ohio evolved away from the control state, right? right. It's because nobody has. There's been one. And it happened in the early 2000s. Hey, it was Washington wow. State. There were two. There were two legal challenges. There was Costco one, Costco two, and then there was, then there was the uh, ballot initiative. I was the um, wholesale beer association executives president. So this is a group of all the wholesale beer association lobbyists in the country. And we were, you know, we were faced with a pretty big task. And it wasn't just us. It was the beer wholesalers. It was the spiritus liquor industry. And we were fighting against this um, idea that they would go open market. Here's the problem. The control states, you remember that $100 billion I just talked about? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? They already spent it. If we went to an open state, we'd have to pay it back. That means every taxpayer in Ohio would have thousands of dollars in the tax bill, you can guarantee that the starting shelf price of everything you see is going to be about double. It, it doesn't work. The math doesn't work. So at the repeal of prohibition, there were 18 jurisdictions, 17 states and Montgomery County, Maryland. Today, there are 17 jurisdictions. The only one that went open was Washington state. And it's been an absolute disaster. They've reneged on every deal. Uh, they have not been able to generate the money because the people in Washington or the people in Washington State have either gone to Oregon or Canada or they ship it in. But it's I, all because the the price has been jacked up because because of having to do that. So they had to pay off all their debt, whatever they encumbered the money to do. They also had to cut deals with all of public safety, and they had all these other side deals that they were trying to buy these groups off to get them to support the plan. They haven't been able to make good on anything because their sales have dropped off a cliff. What Whatever you are is where you should stay. It's, it's interesting because Ohio is like, Ohio is kind of a, Ohio is in, in kind of a unique spot. Iowa and Ohio are sort of together on this. Illinois, I would say, is sort of the other end of the spectrum. So you got three good Midwestern states there. Ohio was the home of the women's Christian temperance movement. So the blue laws, you ever hear of the blue laws? Mm -hmm. So the blue laws come from these women that would, they had just gotten the right to vote, right? They were fighting for the right to vote actually in 1920. And they, and they would dress themselves up in the blue field on the flag. They would cut them out of the flag and put them all together in dresses and dress up like the statue of Liberty and go to these big rallies and stuff. So they were called the blues. So the blue laws were like the, you can't sell liquor on Sunday. You can't sell it on election day. Those kind of laws. Iowa was the home of the Anti-Saloon League until Wayne B. Wheeler, who might be the greatest lobbyist that ever worked in American history, came to Ohio in Westerville, Ohio, and he took over the Anti-Saloon League and the Women's Christian Temperance Movement. Illinois, though, was the home of Al Capone. So there's still a little bit of a Wild West. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that people get fined for in that state that would get you shut down in Ohio. I will tell you, I love Binnie's, though. I, I, I just love that place. It's, it's like walking into a Kmart uh, with alcohol. But <laughs> do. that said, that said, not cheap, though. Not cheap, to your point. <laughs> well, it's a blended margin. Yeah. We don't have blended margins here. Everything's at state minimum. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so Wayne Wheeler, when he dies, I think he died from cancer. And Franklin Roosevelt's on the ballot and his promises that he's going to repeal prohibition, the failed experiment. 20 years ago, if I wanted to get a liquor law passed, I had to go through the Speaker of the House. And she was from Westerville. And I loved her. She was great. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met, actually. But everything I wanted to do had to go through the law director in Westerville, Ohio. 70 years after the repeal of prohibition, I still had to go through Westerville to get anything done. So 10 years after that, and, and the law director and I are friends. And so we get together and he shows me something. It's the most amazing thing ever. Wayne Wheeler's house today is a fraternity house. <laughs> the arc of justice bends towards fun. Absolutely. <laughs> that will not change. As it should. As it should. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I think I think overall, I mean, it's it's really been interesting. Um, you know, I mean, this conversation is interesting in general, but I think it it opens uh, the eyes of folks because I don't think people realize. I mean, we're you've heard it all before, Andy. That um, and Joe and I talked about this. You, know, you get frustrated, you can't get what you want, and then you go to Kentucky, and it's everywhere. Well, they people, make it there. I mean, they that's make it there unfair. exactly. It's it's it, I, you know, Joe and I, it, you and I talk about this, Joe. Like uh, going to get um, bourbon here at a distillery here, you can get whatever you want. It's the same thing. We just don't have the same distilleries. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, we're growing, and um, you have you know. Uh, like Cleveland whiskey and places like that. There's a great distillery up in Sandusky um, uh, that, that Joe and I enjoyed. Um, Which one? There... Which one is that? I don't know that one. What's, what's that one? Joe? Everwild. Everwild. Have you been All there? Right. I'll try it out. <clears throat> yeah, definitely uh, good. Seekers. Seekers is their, is their bourbon. Oh, yeah. They, although they did bring out a rye. I don't know that we have it yet, but yeah. the, um, but they, uh, their, their bourbon is a blend. And uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's a, a good 93 proof, straight down the middle, good smooth bourbon. I think I think when we've talked, we talked to a distillery in, in Brunswick uh, called West Branch Malts. And uh, one thing he said that resonated was that they're trying to grow their guild sort of in the same way that the the brewery, you know, the, the beer uh, brewers have, um, you know, to gain a little clout and to be able to talk uh, and, and market amongst one another and and yeah. do the things it's just it's just a new you know it's a new industry you know it's a new sector really here in ohio relatively speaking of so course. i worked on that i worked on that bill interesting. the a3a yeah interesting. i worked on the a3a i got a call from kim zuras it was during the strickland administration when ted okay. was governor um him was the commerce director and she called and she said look i want to we want to have a uh you know she had talked to the governor and he, they had decided they wanted to have a spirits liquor industry because it was totally illegal before that so ted got elected yeah. so i'm gonna guess this is like 2008 9 something like that mm -hmm. and it was like kind of a walk before you run thing mm -hmm. so we worked with them and we, we we decided that like there should be like three you can have a distillery in the three largest counties in ohio give it a few years see how it goes and it wasn't soon after that that we were like well that worked out pretty well you know, let's expand that. And um, now it's pretty wide open. You know, yeah. now the barrier to entry is really your ability to get a license and have some financial backing. We've seen some come and go. We've seen a lot yeah. of them do really well. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's a fun little niche. Absolutely. And I think a lot of Joe, what was the model he used at uh uh, the one in Sandusky, he he farmed his out to get the to get the taste right, correct? Um, exactly. He went to MGP, and I think it's a uh, it's a two thirds rye, one third weeded blend that he went with. And then as he built it and got the taste he wanted, now he has his own. Yeah, now he, he's actually yeah. Now he's yeah, going to distill his own. But this got this got him up and running. Yeah, I have a nice nice approach to do it. Frankly, um, so they're 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 trying to change the law right now. Because I think I forget what the limit was like. So the way this stuff usually works is like there's these limits on how they they want to go up to, I think, a million gallons for the A3A. A is a manufacturer. B is a wholesaler. C is off premise. D is on premise. So I represent the D's. When you get into the spirits world, one is beer, two is wine, three is spirits. Right. So an 
A1 is Budweiser, right? And A2 is a winery in Ohio. And A3 are these guys. But so they created the A3A, or that's what we created, you know, whatever it was ago to encourage this industry. And it's sort of a craft distillery. So they want to expand what a craft distillery can be. Um, it's an interesting notion. And then there's another guy in the Senate that wants to expand it to his garage. <laughs> you know, we'll like that's, that's the thing. <laughs> of um, I've been to his garage. <laughs> I'm just going to warn everybody. <laughs> his distillery is next to his smoker. Not a good idea. I was going to say, sounds like a really <laughs> poor idea. <laughs> right. Not dangerous at all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, not everything's the best idea, but I, you know, the, the, when you start getting to that level, like home distilling, you've got problems with the federal government, mm -hmm. which the revenuers frown on. <laughs> I was going to say, could go some, on a wait, 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 wait. Is an old time. With that? <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, I, I like how I like how this industry is evolving. I like how you know they're getting bigger. They're starting yeah. to flex a little bit. They're starting yeah. to figure out how to build their brand. No, we so so on a personal level, what's your favorite spirit? I'm a gin guy. Are you? So yeah, I'm an old gin, man. What is I'm, I'm Joe's age. Choice? I'm I'm Vitaly's age. I'm an old man. <laughs> so I like to I like to drink gin and bitch about everything. That's awesome. What's your what's your gin <laughs> of like choice? Joe. For the record, for for the record, his his palate evolved. It wasn't always that. <laughs> it went from Milwaukee's best. To <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever I, was I, a dollar. You know, I like it all. I, I like uh, I like kind of finding out what's out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. my go-to if I'm at dinner or something. Like I'm 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 a martini guy. But, but what I, is the, what gin do you ask for though? If you're asking for your favorite. Bombay Sapphire. Nice. 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 In the summer, sometimes Hendrix. What is, what's different about them? Like what would be, I'm not a, I'm, I don't know much about gin. I know because, them both. So in the, in the, in the winter, I'm Bombay Sapphire with um, blue cheese stuffed olives. In the summer or the spring, I'll be a Bombay Sapphire with a lemon zest, a little lighter, a little fresher, a little brighter. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then in the um, summer, I'll do a gin and tonic Rest with uh, some cucumber. Well, and and I, you know, back in the day, Bernie's Distillery, I can still uh, vividly remember the Ohio State campus, still there, by the way, I think. Um, we would get pictures of gin and tonics before the game. Joe's daughter, by the way, goes to Ohio State. So That's right. Was, uh, I got a, I got a freshman stores. Buckeye there right now. <laughs> nice. But uh, but yeah, that that was that was that. And you know what's funny? Joe and I commented about this. Joe more so than me, I think. Um, his daughter has some friends who they've been trying to get into bourbon, and um, you know, kind of tell tell Andy some of the you know the comments. I mean, because they they don't know it yet, really. They're trying to get into it. Oh yeah, it, it's interesting. Well, I actually I, I applaud them. So like, my daughter has a group of friends. She's a senior at John Carroll, and they uh they have their bourbon and cigar night which i just <laughs> i tip my hat and the uh my daughter sent me a picture this is about three weeks ago with a bottle of like a quarter of it remaining of blade and bow <laughs> this is what i did tonight dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> so nice. i'm so proud of you <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the um but it, it's really it's it was it's been really fun because you know a group of them have come over. We've tried, you know, Blanton's and some other bourbons to just, you know, learn how to drink bourbon, learn how to appreciate it. Actually, the bottle, actually what I'm drinking right now, Old Forester. They mm. get like a group of her guy friends I came over Forrester. and gave it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this right. is, I, I forget which one. That's been one of your go-tos lately, hasn't it? I mean, mm. you've really, you know, do you like the Statesman show as much? I do. I actually... Yeah. I've really, and, and it's interesting. We were just at Char for a, uh, a workout and they've oh, got their own. Bike. Well, it was a workout and come on, man. <laughs> it's a, at some point we got to detach. <laughs> Absolutely not. The, uh, but they have the, if anyone's out there, go to Char. They've got the single barrel, um, old Forester. I mean, it's cask strength and oh. it's a really good, I mean, it's a in whiskey Wednesdays, 10 bucks for a two, two ounce pour, which is amazing. I still like my Weller foolproof. I could drink that by the gallon. Yeah, I, I agree. Weller Weller foolproof to me is 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 a gem that. Yes. And this is one. Okay, 
That's so, one of those things you can still find, right? I mean, like, you know, the thing about that is like a lot of the weller, it gets it finds its way out into the hinterlands, right? So go there. Yeah. And um have you guys gone on the OHLQ website? Oh yeah. 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 So you know you can look it up by bottle mm-hmm. and they'll even tell you if they have like a handle or if they have the 750 ml. Yep. And whether they have like two or more or if they're totally out and you know the the, the little picture is like cut in half and all that. I mean that that is a customer facing thing for a lot of people that they don't that's Maybe a good tool your, your listeners probably know about this yeah but but yeah have them zoom out right because you know if they're really that interested in it it's usually a 20 minute drive but weller foolproof i would say it just became available to my understanding in december of this year like we weren't it wasn't anywhere and then it was gone in hours to we'll your point more. there are people we'll get it, so we're we weller in particular we're getting a disproportionate share by a lot but that means it's selling, right? I mean, they're, they're selling it. They're selling it, but they're getting it out everywhere, which it's like, you know, so I live in a suburb of Columbus, right? Everybody knows it's coming. They know what time the truck drops off at our store <laughs> and the retired guys hang out all I know. morning in their sweatpants waiting for it. <laughs> Damn. But, you know, if you, if you, if you're willing to get on to Chillicothe, it'll, it'll be there, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys are snagging this stuff right off the truck. That's the toughest thing about the business in Ohio is that, again, they put it right out and they have to, but it's, it's, you got the people that just chase the truck. They got nothing else to do. Well, I think too, and Joe, Joe and I have some friends who have stores, you know, liquor stores, you know, and they, they, they try to sell some to the restaurants first. Right. And I get it. I mean, they're trying to, you know, they have a bottle. So that, that, that's allocated. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean. But it makes sense, right? I mean, you know, that has to, has to, has to go to. I mean, just you know, the places to so they have a nice inventory. Um, but I think you're right. I, I, there's been play. I mean, there's been times I've gone to Giant Eagle in Amherst, and they've had a whole display of Weller, and mm-hmm. then I'll go to you know a local store. I can't find any. It's it's bizarre. Um, you know, but I think you're right. I think if you really want to hunt around for it, because um, we were doing that, Joe, we've been with uh, Boom Boom's Bourbon. You know, remember we oh, I know Giant Eagle. Giant Eagle had it, but it was not. It wasn't. Wasn't prevalent for sure. It, where was Boom Boom when you guys did his interview? Was he in California or something? No, we. No. He, go ahead, Joe. Or was he sitting no. across from you? Because it didn't look like it. No, he was. We were in in Youngstown. I forget. Please save me on this one. What was the name of the restaurant? Bistro nineteen oh seven. Um, sort of a renovated, uh, renovated space, and uh, because we asked Ray. Um, you know, you do, you tell us where you'd like to meet and, um, you know, tell us if, if, you know, why don't we do it in Youngstown because, you know, that's where you're from, find a place that you think would be, you know, a good place to, to, to meet that you can give some uh, business to. We brought a whole bunch of folks with us and, uh, it was a good time. I think. No, it was um, a great interview. Yeah. Fascinating. And he actually sit, he signed a bunch of, um, um, bottles yeah. for us. He's a gracious guy. Very. Oh god, yeah. He he sent us bottles when uh when he first got his brand. Somehow um I ended up with a bottle of something called Southpaw. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's his... Boom Booms. Boom Booms got like he he's got some really interesting ideas. Like he's he is someday a, a fun a fun I don't know if he's a fun interviewer or just a really fun hang. Probably not oh, he was a great interview. to this website but uh, to to what you guys are doing. But he's got the most insane story about like one day in the life of Ray. Like it, it starts like you you guys would have like I would have killed to be a, a fly on the wall this day. It starts with like they go to breakfast, they run into Ray Liotta. And so that's happening. They go to lunch <laughs> with David Mamet and Ed O'Neill. Wow. So David David Mamet was the guy that wrote Glengarry Glen Ross. Yep. You know, always be closing. First place, you get a Cadillac. Second place, coffee's for closers. You know, get a set of set of steak knives. <laughs> Who am I? Who the fuck are you? This class costs more than you made last year. That's who the fuck I am. Like that, like that whole, like, great I love dialogue. it. Like, oh, that's fantastic. So he goes to 
to lunch with that guy. And he was telling me later, he's like, yeah, I met this guy, David Mam something. I'm like, David Mamet? Like, and I showed him that clip and he's like, that guy wrote that. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, no wonder he liked me because I wasn't coming up to him with scripts and shit. I was just hanging out <laughs> with Ray. So they go to lunch with, uh, and he, you know, Ed O'Neill, right? Right. Oh yeah. The yeah. dad on Modern Family. He's yeah, in the uh, Boom Boom um, yeah. uh, Married um, with Children. Yeah. Married with Children, yeah. So he's a Youngstown guy. So these three guys are just like crushing it. You know, they're just talking Youngstown, doing the thing. And so then Boom Boom says, hey, I got to make a stop. And I'm going to go to this, um, I'm going to go to this uh, boxing ring. Whatever you do, we're going to go talk to the owner. Just don't be weird about this. It was Bob Dylan. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Really? And they end up at dinner at Schwarzenegger's house. Oh, my God. Like, like the craziest thing ever. Like, this story is just off the rails. And it's literally just a day in the life of Ray. <laughs> That's what he does. That's <laughs> awesome. But he is he is really, like you said, he's a very gracious. I mean, you can tell by how he is. He's genuine. He's gracious. And uh, I mean, tremendous interview for sure. Well, and, Andy, and really in, in solid bourbon. I mean, I have to admit, it yes. was definitely... I, I feel like he did a great job of finding something that he was excited to, to you know, promote and put out there on the market. We had a blind tasting at Joe uh, Gummini's house, and uh, it, it uh, came in second. Came in second to Blanton's. Yeah. There were seven. I mean, Old Rip came in third. Outside. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Old Rip. And we, we, I will say, to be fair, it was a mix of uh, experience in our, in our bourbon uh, group. But it it you know taste is taste. I mean yeah. it. I I think that that uh, that hint of maple. You know, a lot of people like sweet, so it it, it resonated. Right, right. What's your predictions for Ohio State next year? The state of Ohio or Ohio State? Ohio State, the Buckeye <laughs> football team, national championship. Come on, man. <laughs> I think That's I, the wrong I, person. I have two predictions. Ohio State wins the national championship, and the Steelers win a Super Bowl. Oh. I'm probably way off on one of those. And Andy's I think one of you guys those guys. Can both guess which one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's where we're going. Andy's one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. You knew that. This <laughs> actually yeah. I forgot about that. I'm kind of. Can I, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something about love of Cleveland? Because <laughs> I've actually grown to I've grown to love Cleveland, and you, Joe Vitali, are one of my examples of why. <laughs> we were in the fraternity house one night, and. I have no idea how this came up. I wasn't even engaged in it because I'm from Salina, right? So I have no place in this conversation. And somebody brought up a fucking symphony. And you were like, the Cleveland symphony is the greatest symphony in America. It was like, <laughs> Homer I literally much. said, when was the last time you ever went to the symphony? Like, I've never been to the symphony, but I don't have to go to another <laughs> symphony in America. It's like, there was this hometown pride. And I remember watching that and thinking, God damn it, I wish I had that. There's something to be said for uh, Cleveland pride, for sure. And, on, and honestly, Joe, you probably don't even remember that because it's just so second nature to you. It sounds like me. I remember uh, I, I took a guy, uh, Sean Hickey. We were trying to compare, uh, you know, what was better, Cincinnati, yeah. Cincinnati or Cleveland. He was from New York. Didn't know anything about either. It might have been that. It might have been. Yeah. It might have been a fly well, on the wall for this conversation. It was two in the morning. We drove up to Cleveland yeah. so he could see Lake Erie and downtown Cleveland. And I said, "This is it, baby. The most beautiful city you're ever going to visit." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I you can appreciate this, Andy. The uh, Billy, one of your uh, one of your Billy Hardy. Yeah. Well, I, I'm assuming that. Yeah, Billy Hardy. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, know we were we. This is uh, I went. I think maybe the first time I met him, and we had the uh, Walter Payton versus Jim Brown argument, <laughs> which is which yeah. is classic Chicago. You will never Cleveland. win that one. If you took Walter Payton, you're a loser no. in the water. It's it's funny. All I said was he because he he got he was very spirited and said, you know, how do you say Jim Brown's better? And all I said was over five yards of carry. And it, it, it was you funny because the there was I dropped the mic because the reality <laughs> is you can't beat five yards. <laughs> like you can't you when can. you it's the one it's the one like, thing. I don't even like the Browns, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's about the rings. <laughs> it, 
<laughs> well, and he won a ton of rings. I mean, the reality is the guy was amazing. But yeah. five yards of carry over not five yards of carry will always win. There was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, excitement going on. There's a lot of pride <laughs> there on both sides, man. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. You, you, one of your questions, one of your questions, I was going to say this. One of your questions is one of my favorite memories in lobbying. Yeah. Can I tell you that story? Sure, absolutely. absolutely. It's like 2005. And Bob Taft was governor and he wanted to double the beer tax. And at the time I was the beer lobbyist. We got this, we got to think from Cap Square Review and Advisory Board, which is like they control the state house, um, to do a demonstration at the state house. So we brought beer trucks. What we did is for, for like two years in preparation for this fight, we got all the people in all the bars in Ohio to sign petitions and we had millions of signatures and we took all the signatures and separated them out by Senate district. And then we put those huge reams of paper in, in beer cases from people who, from breweries that were in Ohio. So it was like Miller Coors at the time, um, Budweiser, but also uh, a lot of craft breweries. And we go up to the state house with beer trucks. And there was this guy, I'm not going to say who he worked for or what he was doing. The fifth grade classes were at the state house and they were kind of surrounding the state house. So this guy starts going up to, uh, and he's one of ours, right? He goes up to these guys, these, these school bus drivers. He literally starts handing out $20 or $100 bills. He goes into the buses. He would hand the driver a $100 bill and he would just say, get the F out of here. <laughs> So these guys, so that we could line the trucks up, right? And then we do the big, you know, splashy thing at the state house. And we go in there with like guys with names on their shirts, but they got the Budweiser shirt or the Miller shirt or whatever. We have Miller truck. We've got all the different trucks. And we start delivering the petitions to all the offices. So a couple of days later, oh, and then... I, I knew, I knew we just killed this beer tax, right? It, it's Bob Taft's final budget and we've just tethered this thing to this guy. So I told the beer trucks, blow your horns, do a, do a victory lap. We did this today. I could just tell we got the win. Blow your horns. So if you're blowing your horns, semis blowing horns downtown Columbus, going around the state house, like a block, <laughs> like we did, we had them do two laps. <laughs> It's probably 15,000 people, oh right? And so we shut down business that day. And I'm starting to get these phone calls on my cell phone. Like, I see beer trucks downstairs. Is that you? I'm like, goddamn right, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> like, no beer tax. So I, I, I fly down. You know, you remember uh, Wheeler? Uh, we go down to Wheeler's house in Florida, and it's his bachelor party. So we're flying down. I get off the plane and I have a call from the Senate president and all I get is a message from him saying, Hey, Andy, uh, the beer tax is dead. <laughs> call me if you need to. <laughs> it's great. probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. Cause it was like one of those big outrageous, like you, if, if people did it all the time, it wouldn't work, but nobody ever does that. Cause it's too over the top. But mm -hmm. once in a while, you can pull that move off and it works. And it was awesome. That, that is that's a good story. Super, that's fun. an awesome story. <laughs> that's Andy, a great this way. Is, this has been incredibly fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I told Joe before we, uh, when we were planning this and hopped on that, I knew that it would be a, a very interesting interview. And I think you even said, you know, people might find this boring. And, and I think if you remember, I told you, I don't think so. I think um, people Not talk about, right, Joe? I mean, people talk about this kind of stuff all the time and don't understand, you know, how things work. Um, you're around it every day, probably take it for granted, but. I, I still um, think it's going to be boring. Yeah, we anticipate, like, look, look, Andy, I don't know if you've, you've realized, this is, this is very. We're sitting around talking about the law. This is you're, a very you're, you're important podcast. You guys want to hear about bourbon, not the law. Look, it, it, goes, <laughs> Joe, it goes Joe Rogan Experience, Stephen A. Smith, and then Suburban Bourbon, sponsored by Suburban Bourbon. Did you <laughs> know order for now? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> We'd like to thank today's guest, Andy Herf, president of Shoemaker Advisors. You can find our podcast, Did You Know, with Joe and Joe, produced by Suburban Bourbon, on Spotify, 
Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. This broadcast is brought to you by Phone Ninjas. Phone Ninjas provides ongoing training to thousands of auto dealers across the nation, as well as any businesses that generate web leads. Their success with clients has made Phone Ninjas one of the hottest and fastest growing companies in the automotive sector. Visit them at PhoneNinjas.com. And by We. Welcome to everything, for everyone, everywhere, every day. Enjoy an app with so many exciting features like user-friendly social media. Find and rate local bars and restaurants. Search for live music near you. And even network to find friends, jobs, or even a date. There's so much to explore that we know you'll love it. Download the app on the App Store and on the Play Store today.